This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by Five Steps to Focus Driven Achievement, a free mini course to help you get the most from the Full Focus Planner so you can maximize your achievement this year. Learn more at fullfocusplanner.com slash free. Do you have real friends that are primarily people you interact with on social media? Do you mean all those people that like me aren't my friends? <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt. And I'm Megan Hyatt Miller. And this is Lead to Win, the weekly podcast to help you win at work and succeed at life. And in this episode, we're talking about the value of friendship for a leader. This is such an important topic, so don't tune out. A lack of close relationships can be a real problem for leaders. Every leader needs friends. And today we're going to talk about why that's true. You remember a couple weeks ago when Larry Wilson, our senior writer, joined us for the New Year's preview? Well, we got a really great response to that, so we've invited Larry back to co-host this conversation today. Welcome, Larry. Hey. Hi, guys. Great to be here. All right, let me ask you a question as we get started here. I've been in a couple leadership positions over the years, and I found it's sometimes hard for a leader to have friends. And do you really need friends to be an effective leader? It'd be a lot more efficient if you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Well, first of all, yes, you do. But I think it's, it is hard. Um, this is something that I've struggled with myself and honestly have not always prioritized. Um, in fact, it's something that I'm really focusing on this year in my goals. One of my goals this year uh, was to start or host a small group of other couples from our church. And that actually kicked off this past weekend. And it was so interesting. I thought to myself, why have I waited so long to do this? Um, but I had. And it turned out that the other couples in our group uh, shared that they also had just not been prioritizing intentional relationships. We all know a lot of people and interact with people all the time. And that's typical for leaders, you know, that we're, we're having coffee with people or lunch on a regular basis, but we're not necessarily sharing our lives in a way that allows other people to have insight, to support us, to encourage us, to challenge us, um, because we're kind of in a position sometimes of selling or representing the company, things like that. And that's not the same thing as intentional friendships and relationships. I had an interesting uh, follow-on to that. So when I became the CEO of Thomas Nelson, it was a large organization. And one of the authors that we published there was John Maxwell, leadership expert, you know, in his own right. And John had become my, you know, unofficial mentor. And I really looked to him for advice. And the first thing he said to me after I was promoted to that position was he said, he said, I just want to talk to you about uh, it being lonely at the top. He said, you've heard that before, right? And so I, I thought to, to, to myself, he's going to tell me that I just need to get used to that and it's going to be okay and whatever. And I said, yeah, I've, I've heard that. And he said, do you think that's true? And I said, well, I've certainly heard it a lot and I don't really have an experience, but I think it's true. And he said, well, it's not. He said, it's a decision. Wow. Yeah. So that was the first thing that opened me up to the fact that if I was going to be lonely at the top... That's because I had decided to be lonely at the top and I could make a different decision. It's kind of a limiting belief. It is kind of a limiting belief. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Well, there's a study from uh, Harvard Business Review uh, that says this. Let's see what you think about it. Half of CEOs feel lonely in their role. And of those, 61% said that it hindered their performance because they felt the sense of loneliness. Would you, does that 
Does your experience validate that? Yeah, I think it, it, it does, but I think it's interesting to explore why. You know, if I had to speculate on why, I would say it's a couple things. One is CEOs are very busy, right? So they don't have a lot of time for outside uh, friendships. And particularly if they don't have any boundaries on their life, like if their evenings are taken up with work and their weekends are consumed with work, there's no margin to pursue anything but work. You know, it's the world of total work. But I think the second reason is, is because they feel like they can't be vulnerable. So in other words, they have to be, you know, somehow um, unassailable, somebody that is as near to perfect as can be, and they want to represent that image. And so that if they were to kind of let down their hair or let down their guard, then people would disrespect them. And it's a complete myth. It's totally the opposite of that. The more vulnerable you can be, the more honest you can be, one of the things you'll find out is that everybody can relate to it. You know, I, I, I've asked CEOs before when I speak, you know, how many of you struggle to sleep in the middle of the night because you really wonder deep inside if you have what it takes? And without question, I mean, almost every hand in the audience goes up. And when you're vulnerable about that, when you can admit that to yourself, you're going to find people are drawn to you and you have a lot more in common. And that becomes the basis for your friendship. Okay, we're talking about four reasons that every leader needs friends. And reason number one, friends keep you healthy. Michael, tell us about that. The truth is, when you're in leadership, isolation can be very dangerous. You know, left to our own devices, left to our own thinking, you know, we can get paranoid. We can get our perspective distorted. We can lose a sense of self-awareness. And one of the things that friends do is bolster all of that. You know, they help us to be more self-aware because... You know, we realize when we say something that's a, a faux pas or something that's inappropriate, you know, a friend can be there uh, to correct us or to correct our perspective. Or when we feel discouraged or depressed or maybe, and I'm not saying this is true of anyone else, but for me, I can lose my perspective, especially in the evenings, you know, when I get tired. And all it takes is I can go read one negative Amazon review of one of my books <laughs> and, and, and forget the 475 that are, you know, pretty positive. And go into a tailspin because I lose my perspective. But friends help us retain our perspective and keep our perspective healthy. I also like the fact that friends help us to increase our margin. You know, so often as leaders, we're just really, really focused on work and all we're doing is work. And then, you know, whatever happens in the evenings and the weekends with our families, um, I know that can be a challenge for me. And like yesterday, for example, my friend Melody, who works in our office building, not not for us, but in the same building, she texted me and said, hey, do you want to have lunch? And normally that would be easy for me to kind of push off because I have other things to do. But I happen to have a free hour in the middle of the day spontaneously. And she is a therapist and has a couple of adopted kids also. And so we share that in common. And it was just a great break in the middle of the day to do something non-work related and uh, focus on another part of my life, you know, that's not related to business. It was just really a gift. And I think that's what friends can do for us. Yeah. And so that happened to me too yesterday. Uh, so I had lunch with uh, our pal, Jeff Goins, and we hadn't seen each other in a while. And so we went down to a local restaurant here and had lunch. And I don't know, about an hour into it, he looked at his watch and he said, do you have to go? And I said, I really don't. <laughs> and so he said, good. So he said, there's something else I want to talk to you about. But the thing I noticed was it was a, and, and talk about healthy, it was a real stress reducer mm -hmm. because we laughed a lot. You know, I was not, you know, focused on my work and my problems. I was focused on him and his story and what he'd learned this last year. And I felt so relaxed and so good after that meeting. 
Well, supporting this concept uh, that friends keep you healthy, uh, there was a study done by Harvard Business Review. And by the way, I, I read this in uh, the latest book by Brene Brown, Dare to Lead. Mm. And Such she, a great book. Yeah, good book. And she reported on this that a team of researchers went into companies that were reporting high levels of exhaustion. And they thought probably it would be because of the pace of, of work and everybody's just stressed out because there's too much to do. What they found was that the employees were exhausted, but it wasn't because of the pace. It was because they felt lonely. Mm -hmm. I could believe it. I remember this study. When I uh, read that book, that was probably the thing that stuck out to me the most because it's so counterintuitive. I mean, it's not your natural go-to. If you're thinking about a study like that, you wouldn't expect that to be the findings. Um, But this is why in our own culture, Michael Hyde and Company, we have a hybrid model of remote and in-person work because people get lonely. You know, they, friendships at work are a huge predictor of satisfaction and longevity and engagement with a company. And we felt like that the, the totally remote thing just was not satisfying at a human level. And how much truer is that of us as individuals in our whole life. Can I ask you a question, Larry? Sure. Because you work remotely. You don't live here in Nashville Mm -hmm. with with most of the team. Right. But you do come down, like for these podcast recordings and next week we get our team retreat, you know, you're at those kinds of events. What is it like for you in terms of friendships? And I know you got friends probably outside of, of work, but how does that work in your psyche? Well, I found this is like for a high level introvert like me, this is the perfect blend uh, because I have lots of focused time. I can do deep work for mm-hmm. days at a time. And you're doing so much creative work where you're writing. Yeah. So you need that. I need silence. Uh, I need to be alone. And there is enough uh, interaction on video calls, Zoom calls, and Slack that I don't feel isolated. And then, honestly, uh, these visits to Nashville are the highlight of my month or, or sometimes twice a month. Because I get to see you guys and uh, meet up with Nick, our producer, and other friends down here, catch up on life. And it's enough for me, but then I also have plenty of alone time. So it's a perfect plan. Michael, you mentioned uh, having lunch and a conversation with uh, your friend Jeff. I'm curious for both of you, what are some of the things you do with friends? Well, definitely over meals. You know, having a meal with a friend, you know, breaking bread together. Uh, That's a really ancient idea and a very common idea. You know, that there is fellowship around a shared meal. And so I, we enjoy that. I mean, almost every time we go out with our best friends, it's it's usually around a, a, a meal. I think there's some other things we could be doing, though, and I'm hoping Megan has some ideas here. <laughs> well, um, I think traveling together can be a great thing. You know, that there's something when you have a shared experience, something about having that shared experience that you create memories together, which is huge. Um, attending important days together, you know, weddings, graduations, births of kids, those kind of things, just showing up for each other. Um, going on walks together or getting outside together. You know, if you combine movement of some kind that you really enjoy with someone you really enjoy, that can be great. Uh, Worshiping together can also be great. Uh, I think, too, like just having people in your home and going to the homes of your friends – that is one of those things people just do less and less. It's crazy, but there's something so intimate and there's so much connection and you learn so much about someone by being in their own space that just having people over for dinner, um, even if you bring in food from outside, I think is a great thing to do together. Okay. Reason number one that every leader needs friends is that friends keep you healthy. 
Reason number two, friends make you more effective. Megan, is that true? I think it is true because friends often challenge your thinking, you know, especially if you have good diversity in your friendships of age and background and opinion and all those things. Um, they, they probably see life a little differently than you do. And that's really not only healthy for you, um, but it makes you more effective as a leader because you need to consider different perspectives. You need to have well thought out opinions um, and, and good friends can help you do that. I also think um, that they help you increase your creativity. You know, one of the things I love about some of my girlfriends is that um, I've said before on the show that I'm an Enneagram four, which um, means that I'm kind of the romantic, you know, I, I tend to think deeply about things, but I have a, a couple of really good friends who are sevens on the Enneagram, which those are the enthusiasts. They're like just super fun. And when I'm with them, I do things that I wouldn't normally do. Like um, one of my girlfriends, Jen, she recently had a birthday party and she had it at a salsa club. Now, I mean, I would never... That's just like not my thing, <laughs> but I loved that going. sounds it, fun. It was such a blast. Um, and so she encourages me to get out there and do things that I wouldn't do. My friend Katie's the same way, who's a blast. And I think that that sparks creativity when you have fun and when you're with people who are different than you are. Yeah, I think that's true. And I, I can think of um, times when we've met with our friend Ian, for example, and, you know, got into a discussion of his business. And I think he's benefited from our creativity from an outside perspective. I think it's made him more creative. And I would say the same thing with us. You know, my friendship with him has opened up an entire world, uh, particularly related to the Enneagram and understanding the deep motivations of my own life, you know, and when I'm in health and when I'm not healthy. And so it, it has made me more effective as a leader, for sure. Uh, Michael, I'm going to quote from your book, Your Best Year Ever. Do you remember this quote in there about uh, Lewis and Tolkien and their friendship? I do. And uh, Tolkien actually credits Lewis with the success or his bringing Lord of the Rings to publication. Wow. He said, the unpayable debt that I owe to Lewis is not influence as it's ordinarily understood, but sheer encouragement. He was for long my only audience. Only from him did I get the idea that my stuff could be more than a private hobby. But for his interest and unceasing eagerness for more, I should never have brought Lord of the Rings to a conclusion. Mm. Wow. I can see that. Mm -hmm. I would not have written my first book if it had not been the influence and the pestering from who is my best friend then, David Dunham. Um, passed away this last year, great loss. Uh, to me and to our family and obviously to his family. But but it was his influence that motivated me uh, to write. And I, because I didn't think I could do it. And he said, you absolutely can do this. And even when I was rejected by 29 publishers, he was the guy that said, nope, we're going to stick with this. I got a, a counterpoint I want to bring up, Megan. You you mentioned friends at work and some of your good friends are people that you work with. Mm -hmm. And there was an interesting study of 300 workers in the insurance and restaurant businesses. I don't know why they picked those two, but they <laughs> did. And these researchers found out that having friends at work significantly increased an employee's performance mm -hmm. as judged by their supervisors. So they're more effective employees. But it came at a cost. 
uh, because they were more likely to be distracted by long conversations <laughs> and socializing. Uh, emotional exhaustion, you take on all the stress of your friends, they bring that into work and dump it on you. And then some stress when there were competitive opportunities and you're going up against a friend. So, I mean, is it worth having friends at work if it's going to be that much trouble? Yeah, I think it is. And I would say that, you know, when you have friends at work, they're more uh, complicated because of those things sometimes. But I think it's a net gain. You know, certainly there is a cost associated with it. I think that's true for all relationships. You know, all relationships cost us something because they require an investment, but the return is greater than uh, what we have to invest. And I think that's the, the big idea there. That's also where I think we have to look at effectiveness over the long term, mm-hmm. not just the short term. Right. I mean, you know, if I decide that I'm going to swear off my family and not exercise and stay focused on my work, I can be highly effective, highly efficient, but not for long. It's not sustainable. And I think that's one of the values that friendships bring to us is that they make our life more sustainable. It's a great point. There have been some famous competitors who were good friends as yeah. well. Um, Chris Everett and Martina Navratilova who were great competitors on the court, also very good friends. Joe Lewis and Max Schmeling, I hope I pronounced that right, who the the German boxer and, of course, the great American heavyweight. They met in the Olympics in 1936 in Berlin, uh, had a very much talked about bout because it kind of highlighted the, the tensions in the mm. world at the time, but they actually became good friends. Kind of interesting story. Yeah, I, I have a story from that too that's, that's kind of interesting. About... Maybe 15 years ago, there was a literary agent in our industry, back when I was in the book publishing industry, uh, Rick Christian, who's since become one of my very best friends. And Rick had this vision of inviting a bunch of CEOs from different publishing companies to his home in Colorado to spend three or four days together. And it was over the Labor Day weekend. And so these are people that were my fiercest competitors, people that, you know, on the playing field, I didn't have a lot of good to say about them. And they probably didn't have a lot of good to say about me. But when we got together and started entering into our lives and get this, we met every Labor Day weekend for over 10 years with our spouses and we never missed. And we just had a reunion this last year and we picked up right where we left off. But the thing that was cool about it is that um, I I realized that they were a lot like I was, that we had a, a similar calling, a similar sense of mission. But it also made us competitive in a good way because I, I would hear some of the things that they were doing and it would spark ideas in my mind, you know, help me to be more creative. But I treasure those friendships with that group of five couples as some of my very best friends. The funny thing is we don't see them except when we get together. You know, we don't talk to them much in between, but it's like, it's, it's like we pick up exactly where we left off every time. Hey, everyone. Mike Boyer here from the content team at Michael Hyatt & Company. I want to make sure you're getting the most from these episodes, so be sure to check out the show notes at lead2.win. You'll find a complete transcript of the show, plus other helpful links, including the free mini course, Five Steps to Focus-Driven Achievement. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single episode. If you need help with that, just visit lead2.win slash subscribe. Now, back to the show. Reason number one, that leaders need friends is they keep you healthy. Reason number two, they make you more effective. 
Reason number three, we struggled a little with the wording on this, but reason number three why every leader needs friends is friends keep you from being a jerk. (laughs) (laughs) Can anybody relate to that? Well, I laughed out loud when I read that because it's just, it's true. You know, I would hate to think how insufferable I would be left to my own devices. I mean, the truth is Megan's one of the great correctives and and Gail's another (laughs) great corrective to me too, because... There, there's things that I can say just in a place of being unaware that I, I don't mean it in an offensive way or an inappropriate way, but they're kind of looking at it, you know, from the outside in and will call me on it. And I, I think that's a great benefit to me. I think the other thing is that your friends are not that impressed with you necessarily. You know, if if you're in a a public role, they're not your fans. They're not your followers, you know, on social media. I mean, these are people who uh, hopefully are seeing the good, the bad and the ugly of your life that is unfiltered. Um, And they have their own things that they're challenged with and they're pursuing. And so they're not really that impressed with you. And that's so healthy. You know, that your your big win that your uh, fans or followers might really care about. Is not nearly as important as the fact that someone in your life is struggling with an illness or one of your kids is having a hard mm-hmm. time. You know, those are the things that your friends care about. And certainly they celebrate with you. And I'm not saying that that's not a part of it, but it's much more multidimensional than that. And they remind you that there's more to life than your successes or failures. So you don't get too full of yourself or too self absorbed. That's a great point. How do you invite people or give them permission? to offer criticism or to challenge your thinking. Have you have you found, either Larry or you, Megan, that you have to be overt in that, in giving that permission? Or do you find that as you grow closer, it just kind of organically happens? I find that really close friends will call you out without an invitation. Yes, totally. <laughs> I don't think you have to try very hard. I think that's just the nature of relationship as it becomes more intimate. I'll tell you what, though, you can, you can shut it down easily mm-hmm. if you're not careful. You know, if you react to it, or if you become defensive, you really lose one of the most important inputs in your life as, as a leader, and it'll drive you further into isolation. I mean, you can look at public figures, we won't mention any, but certain people that are incredibly offensive, or just, you know, you just think, what a jerk. I mean, doesn't he have any friends? Doesn't she have any friends? Right. Nobody is speaking the truth to them. Right. But that is really because they've cut themselves off from friendship. If you have real friends in your life, it's just like not a danger unless all your friends are jerks. Well, exactly. (laughs) But but that's I guess what I was getting to the point. If you if you get defensive and you shut that down, Mm -hmm. and what'll happen, particularly if you're a leader in an in an organization or you have social status above your friends that aren't in your organization, is that you know, people will start packaging the information. Uh, that you get. Mm-hmm. And they'll, they'll quickly learn, even uh, subconsciously, what topics are safe and what topics aren't safe. Do you think there's such a thing as a yes friend? You know, that people are surrounded by a yes man. Do some people surround themselves by yes friends? I think that's kind of fake friendship. You know, I think if you have real friends, that's probably not a danger. But if you have a public presence with people who are really fans that would like to be your friend, but aren't really on an equal footing with you in some way, you know, they kind of start out in a fan sort of role. That's a danger. You know, those those people may be much more hesitant to be honest with you. But if you're talking about people who um, you're walking through your regular life with, I just I think if they're real friends, they're not going to be yes friends. Do you think this is a greater danger? in social media? And do you have real friends that are primarily people you interact with on social media? Do you mean all those people that like me aren't my friends? (laughs) (laughs) 
I don't really have friends that are only on social media. I mean, the people that are like my real day-to-day in-person friends, they may follow me on social media, just like I follow them. And we may have some professional connection, but there's something outside of that. You know, I, I personally don't find that very satisfying. I mean, it's, it's fun on a, on a certain level, but it's, don't confuse that with real in the trenches friendship. I actually have a rule about it. So on Facebook, for example, you know, you get people all the time that are yeah. asking to be your friend. And my rule is, I actually have two rules. Uh, number one, I have to know you in real, real life. And number two, I have to like you. So- uh, I have a third rule. What's your third rule? Your political opinions can't make me crazy because I don't want to be <laughs> I don't want to be mad all the time for no reason. I'll I, I tell you what, that's true. I There are people I know in real life and there are people that I actually like. Right. But they go off the, the rails on the political thing and I just go, I don't need this. Or other stuff. If, like, I just don't want to be mad without a good point, you yeah. know? Like, it's just not going to go anywhere. Well, we could chase a rabbit trail on this, but I was going to say, how do you keep from siloing yourself? I, yeah, I'm happy opinion. to engage with people I disagree with. It's not about that. It's just that, like, people ranting on social media usually isn't going anywhere. It's not a very effective place yeah. to have those conversations. And I just find that, you know, I'm a better person if I'm not ticked off all the time. Well, and, and back to the point at hand, I, I do think if they really are your friends and you're following them on social media, I do think it can enhance a friendship because yeah. there's no way I can keep track of the myriad things that, that go on in somebody else's life. But I always see them posting about things. It, it informs the conversation so that when we do get together, right. you know, like when I was with Jeff yesterday, you know, he was commenting on something, I can't remember what it was now. And I said, oh yeah, I read about that on social media. Mm-hmm. You know, I remembered you posted on that on social media. So we had more instant report. We didn't have to do a lot of catch up. Well, you're kind of reinforcing the definition of friendship that we set out at the beginning. Friend has to be somebody you actually like to be with. Sounds small and obvious, but it's important. <laughs> Reason number one, that every leader needs friends. Friends keep you healthy. Reason number two, they make you more effective. And number three, friends keep you from being a jerk. Uh, reason number four is that friends look out for you. Can you talk about how that's been true for you and some of your friendships? Yeah, I can think of my friends, Brian and Shannon Miles, who own Belay Solutions. And they have been enormously helpful as friends, you know, sort of the polishing iron idea in Proverbs 27, 17. And one of the things uh, Brian's done is kind of challenged me on some of my basic business assumptions and open my thinking to to new possibilities. He's also somebody that's introduced me to some of his contacts. So I talked to somebody relatively famous last night that I had no contact with, that Brian was a friend with this person and said, I think you'd benefit from this relationship. I don't know where it's going to go or how, but I think it'd be worth having a conversation. Now, now normally I'm thinking to myself, I don't need a bigger network. I don't need more friends. You know, I just need to double down on the ones that I have. But I kind of did it out of respect for him, and I was so glad I did. I had this amazing conversation with this guy last night. I still don't know where it's going to go. But, you know, I feel like I've got a friend in Brian who's looking out for me that doesn't really have, as we say in the South, a dog in the hunt. You know, he's not driving toward anything. He doesn't have a motive. And then he just loves me and is looking out for me. And I try to do the same thing for him. I introduced him to a couple of my podcaster friends with big audiences. And I, I thought, you know, he would be a great interviewee. Uh, for his business. And so he connected and he told me last night, he said, it's amazing. I've already got episodes scheduled with both of these people. 
That's great. I, I've had the same experience. It's it's neat when um, you care about somebody who is your friend, and there's also some kind of professional overlap, or at least you know something relevant in your life stages. And so often, our best contacts, our best opportunities, come through friendships. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody introducing you to somebody else, somebody giving you an idea for a project, you doing the same thing. And very often, as friends, we know the answer to somebody's problem. Um, it's just like one friend away. You know to solve it. And it's fun to see that happen. So I just started reading this book that kind of follows on what you were saying, Megan. It's called The Power of Who. And listen to the subtitle. You already know everyone you need to know. Mm, so true. Isn't that powerful? Yeah. Yeah. And so it, the, the subtitle really captured my, my imagination. So um, I'm just getting into it. And the difference, I think, between networking and what you can get out of that and friendship is in networking, it's all about, you know, how can I help you and you help me? You know, it's it's kind of transactional in that way. But in friendship, it's like you have somebody who's your advocate, who's for you, mm-hmm. who wants to see you win, and they're always just looking for opportunities that they can connect you with. And, and that's a great friendship. It is. And I think to have somebody that you can celebrate your wins with, mm-hmm. I think this is one of the real benefits of our coaching program, Business Accelerator, is that people get together with people that are at about the same, you know, level of work and life and can celebrate uh, wins with one another. I, I think another interesting thing is is people who can defend you against your critics. Yeah, this is huge. Because I, I honestly don't like defending myself. And I think it makes me look small and I feel small when I'm doing it. I'd like to think I'm above that, that I can walk away from it. But the times, for example, if somebody's attacking me on social media and maybe I found out late and I didn't stew over it and obsess about it like I'm prone to do, uh, my friend stepped in and defended me, Mm -hmm. you know, and said, you have no idea what you're talking about or who you're talking about. We know this person. And it's happened to me recently where I had somebody, long story, and I won't get into it, but somebody that was attacking me relentlessly Mm -hmm. and uh, completely driving an agenda, possibly deranged. Mm But I, I just finally gave up on defending myself. And I had two of my really good friends, David and Luria, who jumped into the middle of that and defended me. And it was very satisfying. I think it's important to remember then that friends look out for you as a reason to have friends. It's also a real indicator of what makes a friend. Yes. That if you have a friend who's not willing to do that, they may not really be a friend mm-hmm. to you. Well, I think that, that, that a marker for that is somebody will, who will hold what you share with them in strict confidence. Yes, that's a great point. You know, the people that are my very best friends are people that I could talk to like they were a priest. I know it's not going to go anywhere else. I know that they're going to be fiercely loyal to me, that if they have something to criticize in me, that they're going to come to me privately, that they're not going to gossip behind my back. You know, if if somebody does that, they're automatically, you know, not going to be a going to be a friend. And by the way, this is one of the reasons that leaders have fewer friends than they really need, because so much of what they need to share in a friendship is confidential or could be, you know, um, compromising or ruinous in some way if other people found out publicly or in their company. And and I think that's really prohibitive for people. So trust is huge. You know, you've got to have people that you know you can trust and that you're able to share the things that are truly confidential and know that they're not going to go anywhere, whether, whether that's personally or professionally. Here's where you got to be careful, though, I think, is that if you ever have a betrayal, it's easy for that to sort of uh, calcify mm-hmm. into a limiting belief. Mm-hmm. And so the, I've seen this happen with leaders where they had somebody betray their trust. And so now they've come to the conclusion that they can't have friends, right? right? Because they they went from that isolated experience to a global belief 
that no one can be trusted. Mm-hmm. One way we could put this is that quality matters as much, maybe more than quantity. Yes. Mm-hmm. Leaders maybe have too few friends, but more important is to have depth of friendship with the friends you have. Mm-hmm. I kind of think of it as a series of concentric circles. So, you know, I have best friends or kind of, you know, maybe maybe three or four people that I would consider my best friends. And then I have people that are close friends that, you know, maybe I see them every month or every couple of months, but they're not as close as my best friends. I wouldn't call them best friends. And then I've got people beyond that. We could probably nuance this to death, but people that are beyond that, that are acquaintances, you know, and then beyond that would be people that are followers or friends or fans, people I only know on social media. And I know some things about them, but there's been no interaction outside of social media. So I'll tell you what that helps me to do is know where to prioritize because I can't prioritize everything or everyone. And if I'm trying to treat all those the same, like every friendship demands that I have lunch with them once a week or text them once a week, and I'm, I'm all for being intentional about it, but you can't be available to everybody if you want to be available to people in a way that's meaningful. So we've talked about the reasons why every leader needs friends. Uh, Many leaders will realize, perhaps listening to this, hey, I really don't have close friends. Mm -hmm. Uh, How do I fix that? Well, I think there's a few ways. First of all, um, it starts with a commitment to prioritizing it. So, for example, I realized um, the other day that I have fewer friendships with other female executives and business owners than I would like. You know, there are people that I know, but I'm not close to necessarily. So I sent my executive assistant, Jamie, a list of about eight women who live locally that I know, but not as well as I'd like to, to set up lunches with. And I'm going to intentionally pursue those relationships and initiate with those people on a regular basis. And I have a feeling that out of that group will come several close friendships. Um, The other thing is, if you don't feel like you already know those people, it can be helpful to join some kind of a group. So that could be a small group through your church. If you're looking for more professional friends, it could be like you were talking about, Dad, a coaching program. I mean, a lot of our clients have found their friends in those contexts. Um, We have had the same experience in our own coaching program. But I think it's starts with taking initiative. I think so too. And I, in fact, just listening to you talk, I was kind of distilling that down into a series of steps, which I want to do. So I would say, number one, making the commitment that you're going to have better friendships. Number two, I would suggest that you target, literally target a list of individuals, you know, the names of the people that you want to pursue. Number three, come up with some kind of activity sort of like a habit goal, something you're going to do, like you're going to have lunch with them, or mm-hmm. you're going to invite one couple over from church a week or whatever it is. And, and, and certainly don't be more aggressive than you've got time for. You know, this can't become an all-encompassing project, but there's got to be space on your calendar for it if it's going to work. And then the fourth thing I was thinking is, you know, what I always say is what gets scheduled gets done. So you've got to schedule this time. Well, If you're feeling anxious about this too, so I know some of you guys listening, um, maybe you're not as practiced in this and this creates some anxiety in you. Like, what if they don't like me? I mean, it kind of goes back to all those like middle school sort of fears. But as adults, we have those same things running through our head. I think this is an area where you have to just push out of your comfort zone. Yeah, anytime you're getting to know somebody new, unless you're a super extrovert um, and you have a lot of confidence in that area, you're probably going to feel a little uncomfortable. But if you go in being um, curious about the other person 
And maybe this right. is my introvert hack for meeting people I don't know. Um, having two or three questions that are, um, you know, kind of leading questions that will help get the conversation started, that can be really helpful. And I think what you'll find is other people are just like you. They're looking for relationships. They feel yep. lonely. They would like to have more connection with people that they have things in common with and that they also like to spend time with. Um, and so you kind of have to challenging, challenge your limiting beliefs and just get out of your comfort zone and do it. Well, today we've learned that every leader needs friends and they can keep you healthy. They make you more effective. They keep you from being a jerk sometimes and they look out for you. So guys, any final thoughts today? Well, friendship is critically important. And as a leader, you can't afford not to prioritize it. But if you've held back and you don't feel like you have the friendships you need, I really want to challenge you to take action, to schedule coffee with someone that you'd like to get to know better or to schedule dinner at your house. Um, just do it and do it in the next week. You know, like set yourself a short timeline because that's often how we make progress quickly. Yeah, my final thought is that you can lead without friends, but you can't lead well without friends. You're going to be a much better leader if you have deep, meaningful friendships. Everything will improve in your leadership, so you got to prioritize it. Great thoughts, Michael, and thank you for the opportunity to be here. Thank you, Megan. You bet, Larry. Great to have you. And also thanks to you guys for listening to us on Lead to Win. And join us next time when we're going to reveal the five powerful questions that drive leadership. Until then, lead to win. This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by Five Steps to Focus Driven Achievement, a free mini course to help you get the most from the full focus planner so you can maximize your achievement this year. Learn more at fullfocusplanner.com slash free.